So I thought if I could take a photograph of you all doing a wave, that would be really good. So let me do a few with my shaky hands. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Didn't expect that, did you? Well, I can send that to the pastor and to the congregation and they can know that we're thinking of them as well and we receive their greetings and we give their greetings back to fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. So it's good to be with you this morning and uh, as many of you know, the Lord has really put it on my heart as a burden to speak about the exodus from Egypt as a as a blueprint of our Christian walk, as our Christian journey. And so often in my Christian life, uh, the idea of journey and pilgrimage and going somewhere in our Christian walk was not something that occurred to me particularly. It was just, I made the decision, is what I can get from God. But um, the Christian life is pictured as a journey. We are on pilgrimage. We are on an exodus out of Egypt onto the promised land. We are going somewhere. And God has the intention not only to take us out of somewhere, but also to take us unto somewhere. And in order to do so, he needs to change us along the way. And in Hebrews 12 verse 1, it says, Let us run with endurance the race that is marked out for us. Let us run with endurance the race that is marked out for us. There is a race that is marked out for you and for me. And there is a start line and there is a finishing line. And the finishing line is the kingdom of heaven. The heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, Mount Zion, however you want to describe it. But the start place is Egypt. And we need to leave Egypt properly in order to start that race and run with endurance the race marked out for us. And in Hebrews 12 verse 14, it says, For here we do not have a lasting or enduring city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. I don't really care about what I earn and what I build upon this earth because it's all temporary. Any house that I get, any possessions that I own, one day are not going to follow me into the grave, are they? Naked I came from this world and naked I go. Blessed be the Lord, said Job. But we are, we are, we are on a journey on the way to a city. And anything we achieve, anything we possess in this life is all temporary. It's all going to go to waste one day. But in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul says, Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So there is a working out of our salvation. So often in my Christian life, it was like I pray the prayer, that's it, that's salvation done, and it's all about other stuff then. But nothing about that sense of working out your salvation. When do we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? And that's why it's important to look at things like the Exodus account and see how God met with and worked amongst his people on that journey. Because the way he worked amongst his people on that journey is the way he wants to work amongst us today. How he fed them is how he wants to feed us today. How he gave them drink is how he wishes to give us drink today. How he led them through the wilderness is how he's going to lead us today. And uh, a few weeks ago, I was up here talking about how God led the children of Israel. And do you remember how, it should be pretty obvious, but how did he lead the children of Israel in the wilderness? How did he lead them? Pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. 
That's right. But whenever we start talking about the leading of God, often we get immediately in our minds, my career, what career should I have? Or what partner I should settle down with? Whether I should buy that car or whether I should go on that holiday next year or not. This is our idea of leading. But the emphasis in the scripture when it comes to the leading of God is far more on our walk of faith or our walk of faithfulness unto our sanctification in Christ Jesus. That is the emphasis of God's leading in the scriptures. And if that will become our emphasis also, all the other things will start to fall into place as well. You see, often in our prayer meetings, we're praying, well, Lord, what about this? And what about that? And we're, we're praying for God's specific leading in natural situations in life. And God is concerned, but those are secondary issues. And often if we focus on the priority, the, the prime first issue, all the other things will just fall into place anyway. In Proverbs 3, verse 6, it says, In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Often we want God to direct our paths just because we pray about it, but we're not acknowledging him in all our ways. I remember when I was a young Christian, we used to have that scripture on our wall at home, and I used to, used to memorize it, and I used to think, I need to acknowledge the Lord in all my ways. So, Lord, I acknowledge you in my career. I acknowledge you in this, and I acknowledge you in that, but I didn't actually truly acknowledge the Lord in any of it, really. I was just using words. We need to get to that point where we truly acknowledge him in all things in our life by laying down our lives for him in them. But God led the children of Israel through the pillar of fire during the nighttime and the pillar of cloud during the daytime. And it was one pillar of cloud, just a pillar of cloud with fire within it. But a cloud, what is a cloud made up of? Water. That's all a cloud is made up of, isn't it? So he led them by fire and by water. Two seemingly opposing elements that existed, coexisted side by side. The water did not evaporate with the consuming fire in the midst, and the fire was not quenched by the surrounding waters. The fire and the waters coexisted side by side. And of course, this teaches us about our God. And sometimes we think, well, God is a contradiction. Well, he's only a contradiction according to our natural mind. How can God be kind and yet severe? Consider then the kindness and the severity of our God. He can be kind, but he also can be severe. He can bring death, but he can also bring life. Remember when the children, when he spoke to Moses and said, I will go amongst the, the, the Egyptians and I will strike down the firstborn. Not that he sent a bad angel to do that, he did it. I will go forth among the Egyptians and I will strike them down. But he, he brings death, but he also brings life. He is holy, but he is also love. He is merciful, but he is also just. He is water, and he is fire. And the two go seeming contradictions. They go together, and they stand together because the angel of the Lord is in the midst. Now, the fire gave the Israelites warmth in the nighttime. If you've ever been in a desert in the nighttime, it gets pretty chilly. But the fire gave them warmth. It was practical. Whereas the cloud refreshed them and protected them from the harsh desert sun during the daytime. In Psalm 105 verse 39, it says, He spread a cloud for a covering and a fire to illuminate by night. And if you remember what we spoke about a few weeks ago, 
We understand that the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire represented Christ himself. The angel of the Lord indwelt the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire represented him specifically as the word of God, that which came forth from the mouth of the Father. Remember in Numbers chapter 9, verse 18, at the mouth of the Lord, the sons of Israel would set out, and at the mouth of the Lord, they would camp. And as long as the cloud settled over the tabernacle, they remained camped. Very strange expression. Usually in our, in our Bibles, it says, at the command of the Lord. But the literal translation in the Hebrew is, at the mouth of the Lord. At the mouth of the Lord, they went out, and at the mouth of the Lord, they, came back, they, they camped in the, in the camp. But was there any verbal command from God? No, it was just the movements of the cloud, wasn't it? So we see that the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire was referred to as the mouth of the Lord, specifically the movements of the pillar of the cloud and the pillar of fire. They were referred to as the mouth or the command, the word of the Lord. And as the angel of the Lord within the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire moved, so the children of Israel moved. The very word of God, Jesus Christ, is the angel of the Lord, of course. It was Jesus Christ himself who was at the center of that pillar of fire and pillar of cloud. So when Jesus Christ, the very word of God, moved, so the armies of Israel, the congregation of Israel in the wilderness, moved also. And God guided them at every step, and God went ahead of them and before them at every step of the way. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, it says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus Christ is that word that proceeded from the mouth of the Father. He is that pillar of fire and that pillar of cloud. And the way he led them in the wilderness 4,000 years ago or thereabouts is the way he leads us today. God leads us primarily through his word, doesn't he? God leads us primarily through his word, but specifically through a supernatural fire and a living water contained in his word. Have you ever felt the fire in God's word before? Have you ever felt that living water in your soul through the word? But that doesn't just happen when we read the word. That happens when the word gets anointed by the Holy Spirit. You see, the word of God is not just an ordinary book. And if you read it as a history book or as an intellectual exercise, it will profit you very little because you will never truly meet with the Heavenly Father. You will never truly meet with Jesus Christ, the living bread. The Bible says that the, in Hebrews 4 verse 12, the, the Bible, the Word of God is living and it is active. It is an active fire and it is living water that washes, cleanses, refreshes and satisfies our souls. And in Jeremiah 23 verse 29, we looked at the Word of God being a fire and he says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters the rock? Have you ever felt the word of the Lord to be like a fire burning in your heart? And the pillar of fire guided the children of Israel during the nighttime. And it is during times of spiritual darkness, of discouragement, depression, confusion, struggle, when we're going through difficult times, that's when the fire comes along and starts burning and showing us the way we need to lead, to lead up, walk our paths. In Psalm 119 and verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When it says it is a, a lamp to my feet, it doesn't mean a torch. 
Often I got the idea of a torch shining in with batteries in it. It's not a bat- torch with batteries. It's like a torch that the, it's like a lamp that the virgins used to hold. It would have a flaming fire coming out from it that would shine the light, shine the light, and show the way in the wilderness, in the darkness. See, the virgins need to have oil in their lamps. That's the key ingredient you need in your lamp in order to have light shining from it. That light that shines from it is a burning torch. It's a burning light that lights my path. And in times of spiritual darkness, and we all go through it, that's when, the, when, the, when the, the God's, wo- God's Word starts to warm our hearts. When you're going through spiritual darkness, the first thing you need to do is get into God's Word. The first thing we usually do is start complaining to other people and start moaning and groaning about our circumstances and letting the circumstances come on top of us and affect us. But the, the one thing we need to do is to get into God's Word. Because when you get into God's Word, when you're going through times of darkness, that's when the fire starts burning in your heart. It starts warming your heart. The encouragement of the Scriptures starts to encourage you in your heart and you, you feel strangely warmed. You, you, you have that sense of God's something supernatural burning within your heart, in your very soul. When the fire of God starts to burn in your heart and you start to see past your circumstances and start to see Christ as He truly is. Remember on the road to Emmaus, Two of the disciples, what were they doing? They were talking to one another, but they were discouraged. Are you the only one in Israel that has not heard of the things that have been going on these days? I, we thought this man, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, mighty in word and in deed. We, we thought he was the one to deliver Israel, but, well, our hopes have gone up in flames. It's all gone. We, we don't understand what's going on. Confusion, darkness, depression. They're in a dark place. But then who came along? Jesus came along and he started talking to them and he started opening the scriptures to them and they said in Luke 24 verse 32 were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road while he was explaining or opening the scriptures to us you see what we need in our time of need is not to focus on ourselves but to get our eyes focused on Christ to get into the word of God and to have Christ revealed to us through the scriptures. That's what the Holy Spirit is going to do. He's going to take the scriptures and he's going to anoint them and he's going to reveal them to you so that you actually meet with Christ. You meet with a person as you read these words. That's the whole point. And this is the pillar of fire guiding you in the wilderness through their time of darkness. I tell you, I love the road to Emmaus. Have you ever been on the road to Emmaus? I've been on the road to Emmaus many times. When you're discouraged, when you're dark, when you're down and you're downtrodden and you get in the Word and you start reading that Word and it suddenly starts to become alive to you and everything that was in darkness, all the circumstances of life that is so crowding in on you and pushing you down, all of a sudden it just gets put into perspective and your eyes get focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. This is, where the, this is the fire of God working in our hearts. And it is leading you in the right way to fix your eyes, not on your circumstance, but to fix your eyes above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And how we need the fire of God to be burning in the hearts of his people today. So the fire is one way the, the, the word can effectively work in us today in guiding and directing our steps. But the other way was by living water. Living water that cleans washes, refreshes, soothes, and satisfies our thirsty souls. 
In Revelation chapter 1, verse 15, John had a vision of the glorified Christ. And what did he say of him? He said, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. The idea of many waters coming forth from the mouth of Jesus, the word of God himself. Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 27 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. This is God's will for you and I in Christ Jesus, that we might be a bride that is worthy of our bridegroom, without spot, without wrinkle, without any other blemish, that we might be holy and blameless before him. That's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He didn't save you because he was so desperate for you. He saved you for the purpose of conforming you to the image of his son, that you may be a bride worthy of joining with his son on that day. And we talk these days about being washed in the blood of Christ, and, I, and rightly so, we need to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb. But have you also been washed in the water of God's Word recently? Have you been washed in the water of God's Word recently? Have you received a spiritual bath recently? Hopefully, if you've been in this church for long, you, you've had regular baths. But I've been in many churches where we're all smelling in the for a long time because we have no spiritual baths and all we talk about is the philosophies of men. Has God's word washed you thoroughly with his living waters? Some may say, well, I'm not sure or how does that work? Well, if we read the Bible as an intellectual exercise or just as if it is some normal book, it will remain closed to us. We will experience nothing of the life that is contained in its pages. But if we read it by inspiration of the Holy Spirit... Its pages will suddenly start to become alive to our souls, and we can either be a fire that burns in our hearts or a supernatural holy living water that is sprinkled or poured out upon our souls, something that can be perceived and sensed in your spirit. You feel washed once you've read the Word, or you should feel washed. There should be a difference. When you go to the Word and you truly seek the Lord, you should feel like you've met with the living waters. You should feel washed in your soul. The key issue is, is the Holy Spirit guiding and anointing what you're reading? Or are you reading according to the systems of theology and the doctrines and the dictates of men? Do you have oil in your lamp? That is the key issue. Do we have oil in our lamps? There's many people running after this Bible school, that Bible school, this teaching, that teaching, trying to get doctorates and degrees, and all they're getting is a bigger and bigger head, lots and lots more knowledge, but they know nothing of the true knowledge of God, which is only given through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Are we wise virgins, or are we foolish virgins? This is the time to be a wise virgin, to get oil in our lamps. Now, Jesus likened our salvation experience, all this coming to him, as being bathed, being washed. In John chapter 13, verse 10, remember Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And he washed all the disciples' feet and eventually came to Peter. 
the one who always had an opinion on everything. And Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. He was probably embarrassed that Jesus was on his knees in front of him and he, he realized he should have been the one doing that. But Jesus said to him, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. So he says, not only my feet, but my head and everything else too, Jesus. And in verse 10, Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Obviously talking about Judas, the one who was to betray him. But he was declaring the fact that because the disciples had come to him and listened to his words and put their trust in Jesus and followed him, practically speaking, they were clean. They, were, they had been bathed, they had been washed because they had come to Jesus. But still their feet needed washing. Our feet, that is the part of us which comes into contact with this world with the dust and the dirt of this world. The dust of this world is cursed. We're on a journey, and part of that journey is, is in a physical body going through this world. And I don't know about you, but when you go through this world, it is inevitable that you get defiled by sin or the dust and the dirt present all around us. Hopefully less and less in sin. But we have been bathed but we need to have a regular wash of our feet so that the dust and the dirt of this world does not cling to us and defile our hearts also. We need to have regular bathing. When I go into work, I'm seeing things that I don't particularly want to see and I'm hearing things that I don't particularly want to hear. I don't know if that's the same with you. But I feel after I come home and I feel dirtied, I feel, un I feel unclean. And I know that I am right in my heart with the Lord, but just from the things I've been hearing and the things I've been seeing and having to put up with during the day, you feel defiled. It's like someone's just taken a load of muck and just thrown it all over you. What's the best thing to do in that situation? Get into the Word of God and have a spiritual wash. Have a spiritual shower. Don't sit and turn the TV on and get a load more dirt thrown at you. Get into the Word of God and have a good old spiritual scrub up. But it's important to get a wash because if you, if you don't wash yourself on a regular basis, what happens to you? Get a bit dirty. People start not wanting to sit next to you as he put deodorant on today. Whew. But the problem is, if you start not washing, you start getting used to living in dirt. And if you start getting used to work, living in dirt, it, you don't smell yourself anymore. It's everyone else that smells you. You don't actually smell yourself. And it's a real danger as a believer that if we don't wash ourselves on a regular, daily basis, I would say, there's a danger of us starting to smell and giving off not the odor of Christ, but the odor of something else, the odor of self-centeredness, the odor of sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 to chapter 7, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says this, You are the temple of the living God. You Born again believer, you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and will walk among them. What a privilege. If we are the temple of God, God, God dwells in and walks among his temple. And we are his temple. He says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. What if we do touch that which is unclean? We never ask those questions, do we? Is the Lord going to receive us? 
Sometimes at work it's almost inevitable that I hear things that are unclean and I get around things that are unclean. I need a spiritual wash, I need a spiritual bath, don't I? Don't I? I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness or defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let us cleanse ourselves. It's something God does, but we, need, we have an active part to play in it. We actually have to get this Bible off the shelf where it's gathered a load of dust for the last few weeks because we haven't opened it. Blow off the dust and start reading it and getting into it. That's what we need to do. We need to have a spiritual bath regularly, I would say, every day. I have a shower every day physically, but I also need to have a spiritual shower every day to be washed in the living waters daily. And we're not talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit here. That's something different. This is the washing of water by the Word. It's that active process by which you get into the Word of God and you allow the Holy Spirit to start anointing those words and you start being washed in that heavenly water, cleansing ourselves from all defilements of flesh and spirit. You can, as a believer, you can be defiled in flesh and possibly in spirit also if you continue walking in, that, in those defilements. These could be sins that we have actually committed or maybe just the considering or thinking or dwelling upon sins in our minds in that secret place where we think no one knows what's going on. Or just the hearing of corrupt words around us or the seeing corrupt images around us which is becoming more and more of an issue in these dark days in which we live, isn't it? And these things defile us to a greater or lesser extent. And because of this, we need to be cleansed regularly by the washing of water with the Word, that we might be a bride worthy of our bridegroom, with no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we might be holy and blameless before Him. A holiness that He gives us, but it's a holiness we walk in as we work out that salvation with fear and with trembling. If we have fallen into sin, what's the first thing we need to do? Hide it, pretend it didn't exist. Now, the first thing we need to do is confess it before the Lord and repent. That's the first thing we need to do. But after that, what's the next, next best thing to do? Take some time reading God's Word. Allowing Christ to minister to you through it. That's exactly the time to experience the washing of water with the Word. You see, when we repent, we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. We're getting to that place where we humble ourselves and we, we come to the very place we need to, to to receive that heavenly washing in our conscience and in our soul. This is effectively following the leading of Christ as our pillar of cloud in the wilderness as we journey towards the heavenly kingdom. In Psalm 23, verse 3, the, the psalmist says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's leading you somewhere. It's not just to have a fun time in life. He's leading you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He has a purpose in you to conform you to the image of his son so that you'll be different to the people around you. He didn't save you so you can just be a, a different version of the world around you. He saved you to be something completely different, a new creation. All things having gone, the new has come. That's what he saved you unto to conform you into the image of his Son. 
And it's a process, it takes time, but that, he is at work in you to do that. That is his purpose for you, his high calling for you in Christ Jesus, to, to lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And there's a work in that. It's, God does the work, but there's a work we need to do to partner with him in it. Romans 13, verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's something we do. God helps us to do so, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. That means we have war with the flesh. You're in a battle, did you know that? It's not a battle against the Muslims. It's not a battle against the LGBT parade. It's a battle against your flesh. It may come out in other ways as well, but it's a battle primarily with your flesh. You are at war with your flesh, and your war is a, a, a war with the, the plans of God's purposes for you by his spirit but God wants you to put on to put off the flesh put off the old man and put on the new man and put on the Lord Jesus Christ be conformed to the image of Christ be someone different as Adam walked with God in the garden before sin came along experiencing intimate fellowship with his creator that's what God wants for you and for me today he wants us to know what it is to be in intimate fellowship with our Creator, with nothing in the way. No sin, no, no, not to have any doubt in our mind that, have I confessed my sin? Have I repented? Is there something in the way, Lord? Is, you know, feeling a distance. So many times, so many years of my Christian life, I felt a distance with me and the Lord. I knew I'd come to the faith, I knew I'd got saved, but there was a distance. And God wants to close that distance because... He wants us to walk with him intimately in the garden as Adam walked with him. Where our normal default position is walking clean before a holy God and we know we're walking clean. There's no skeletons in our cupboard. There's no spots or, gar or darkness on our garments. And because our garments have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, washed in the water of his word, they, they're white. And when something is white, it shows up the spot immediately, doesn't it? You show some, if you throw some muck on my shirt today, am I going to notice it? Possibly or possibly not. I'm a bit short-sighted, so I probably wouldn't. But if I had a white shirt on today and you threw just a little bit of muck on me, what's going to happen? I'm going to spot it immediately, aren't I? Because of the whiteness of the garments I'm wearing. This is God's will for us, that we are clothed in white garments so that if ever we do fall or stumble... Immediately, our conscience rings that bell loudly in our ears and warns us and says, you're spotted. You need to deal with it. Something has happened. You have stumbled. You need to get up and repent and keep walking with the Lord and have a spiritual bath. God wants that for us. This is the true overcoming life in Christ Jesus where we literally can no longer walk in known sin. That doesn't mean we don't fall into sin, but where we come to a place where we, it's difficult or if not impossible to walk in sin any longer because it is such a trauma to our souls to sin we never want to do it ever again have you come to that point in your life god wants you to come to that point in your life where to sin is a trauma to your soul you know someone is a true believer when they mourn over their sin if someone just oh i've sinned and just brush it off and oh, i repent lord and keep watching TV or doing whatever they're doing. I do have question marks about that person's faith walk. But if someone is mourning, if they're affected, if they're maybe cast down, 
because they've sinned, because they know they've grieved the Holy One of, of Israel. That's a true believer because their conscience is bearing witness that they are righteous on the inside and God's Spirit is doing a work in them. John chapter 3, verses 6 and 9. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. And verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. This is what God wants for each and every one of us. It is possible to sin, but as a believer, it should be impossible to walk in that sin. It should be impossible to hide it and continue hiding it and continue walking in it. Because it causes such a trauma to your soul, it's unbearable. You cannot do it. The Bible calls this walking in the light, walking in the day. We are called to be children of the light and children of the day. Having that ongoing sense of being clean and washed on the inside, that's what we should have as believers. Where we feel clean and washed in our soul and at peace with God and with our fellow man. We can take the communion because we are in communion with our brothers and sisters. There is nothing, no grudge in our hearts, no secret envy or malicious uh, anger or grudge in our hearts against anyone. We are, it is well with my soul. I have that sense of shalom. I am right with God and I am right with his people. That's a blessed place to be. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it says, If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I tell you, brothers and sisters, this is a glorious place to be where fellowship with like-minded believers becomes just so much deeper. And, 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 and that sense of being clean and right before God is both compelling and exhilarating. This is the true overcoming Christian life. This is true Christianity. True Christianity is not about getting a mansion and, and getting a BMW car and, and getting all this stuff and becoming a rich and prosperous man in God, so-called. True Christianity is being well in your soul and being right with God through Jesus Christ, and walking in your salvation, walking before God clean, and walking in the light as he is in the light. That's just such a glory in that. Where the Holy Spirit is testifying with your spirit in your soul that you are a child of the living God. Do you have the testimony in your heart that you are one of his? We should have that testimony, the Holy Spirit agreeing or testifying in our hearts that we are children of God. And this is the pillar of cloud leading you in the wilderness, leading you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And the pillar of cloud led the children of Israel during the daytime. And if we're walking in the day, if we're walking in the light of Christ, this is when Christ, as our own pillar of cloud in the wilderness, will guide and direct our paths also. We'll start to find we have that sense of what is the right way to go in life. And things will just seem to fall into place for us as we put the Lord first. Remember what he said, in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. As we put the Lord first in our lives, all of a sudden everything else just seems to flow anyway. I used to pray before and, oh Lord God, may I get a godly wife, may I do this and, and do this. Then I just decided I'm just going to follow the Lord and walk with the Lord and trust him. And then as I did so, in a few months' time, a year and a half, 
everything just seemed to fall into place. It just, there was a flow because I was walking in the Holy Spirit and I was starting to walk in the light. As well as washing and cleansing, water is also desperately needed for something else, as al- something else also. It is needed for life and for growth. If a garden goes without water, what happens to it? What happened last year in August 2018 to your garden in England? If it was anything like our garden, it went yellow and brown and everything in it died. I came home from holiday and I found all our raspberry plants were all dead. All our strawberry bushes were all dead. The grass seemed pretty dead as well. That's what happens when water is not is absent from a garden. Our hearts are supposed to be God's garden. God's garden where the incorruptible seed of God's word finds a home in well-watered, well-plowed soil, hopefully, that is representing our hearts. God's word pictures the man who abides in his word as like a tree planted firmly by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in whatever he does, he prospers, Psalm 1 verse 3. Are you planted by streams of water? By streams of living water? I've heard that scripture mentioned so many times in church and yet often we don't actually look and see what are the qualifications for it. They say, I'm a, I'm a tree planted by living waters. Well, what does it say in verse 2? Because that is what qualifies the tree being planted by living waters. Because according to the psalmist, it says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and who takes great delight in his commands. And his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree. Not just if you, don't, if you can't be bothered to open the Scriptures and you go from one week to the next not opening it. He meditates in his law day and night. When was the last time you were lying on your bed about to go to sleep and you were meditating on the Word and allowing the Word to absorb into your heart and mind? Some will say, well, I can't read the Word when I'm sleeping. I'm trying to go to sleep. That's the whole point. I'm trying to sleep. But have you invested the Word so much during the daytime that when you're lying down at the nighttime and you're going to sleep, you, you are able to recall those Scriptures and they just it's a joy in your mind just to meditate upon those Scriptures. Have you ever tried doing that? It's a good way to go to sleep. But if we don't fit in this category of person, if we're not delighting in the law of God and meditating in it day and night, what category do we fit in? Where do we fit? Where are we planted? Are we planted on an arid hilltop somewhere with little or no rain? This is like the person who gets the word God out once in a while but doesn't really delight in it. Are you going to have much fruit in your life? No. What will happen if we stop being watered? If the rains cease on our garden and a hosepipe ban is enforced in our hearts? Hebrews chapter 6, verses 7 to 9 says this, For ground that drinks the rain which often comes on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those whose forsake it is also tilled receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, whose end is for burning. Stern words, serious words, but who are they spoken to? Believers. 
Then in verse 9, But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. These are stern, serious words. The type of ground which receives the blessing of God is that which drinks the rain which often comes on it. That means such a person is not only allowing the word to water them often, but they're also drinking that moisture into the soil of their hearts. Have you had a good drink of the word of God recently? Have you filled your cup to overflowing and drained it to its bottom? That means they're not only reading the word often, but they're also meditating in it often for the purpose of understanding it. And then after getting understanding, they are then applying it to their own hearts. The whole shebang, so to speak. The the whole process they're going through. They're not just reading the word just to tick a box. They're reading the word with a purpose to be washed by the living waters, to be filled with that manna from heaven, to gain understanding of Christ, to meet with God. Really, it boils down to the fact that we determine how much or how little of the living water is going to fall into our hearts by how how much or how little we read the Word and meditate in the Word and then apply the Word to our own hearts. God desires to water us abundantly. He wishes to pour His waters upon us. He wants to do it. It's not a matter that He is restraining Himself But he looks for our attitude of heart. Are we seeking him? Are we God seekers? Are we those who desire his word above all others? If we just get home and we spend five, six hours watching the TV at home and spend nothing seeking his word, well, why would he pour out his abundant waters upon us? Why would he do it? He wouldn't. We're despising the riches of his grace. And we will never truly know his leading in our life properly if we don't diligently get into his word on a regular, as a regular habit and practice in our lives. Have we spent time in the word so as to become familiar with it? Are we familiar with the word? Have you learned to meditate in the word and so drink of the clear waters into your heart? Have you learned to apply the word to your heart? Are those life-giving waters permeating every aspect of that new creation which is growing in your heart? See, when a a garden is well watered, what happens to it? Everything goes green. Everything starts growing. Growth is multiplied. There's fruit on the trees. It's just amazing. I see in my garden, the raspberry plants are blooming this year because the rains and the sun have been out and perfect conditions and, you know, we're getting some great fruit. That only becomes, comes from sunlight and water. And God gives us both in Christ Jesus. But if we choose to neglect his word, if we do not seek after the living waters, effectively we have stopped following the pillar of cloud in the wilderness. Maybe we've pitched our tent somewhere. Somewhere look, looks quite good. But we've allowed the pillar of cloud to go on ahead of us and we've stopped and stopped following it. Are we ever going to get to the promised land if we do that? Jesus said, abide in my word, and you will be truly disciples of mine. Abide in my word. That means live in my word. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. If you pitched a tent in the desert, you're in a difficult place, especially if the water supply goes on ahead of you and you don't follow it. 
In Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11, it says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be. It's like the rain and the snow. That's what the writer to Isaiah is writing. So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God has sent his word, Jesus, who is the Christ, into this earth in order to produce fruit here, seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And he has done this, and he is continuing to do this by also watering the earth in our hearts also. Sending his rain and his snow, his living word that washes our souls through that anointed word which he has planted deep in the soil of our hearts. And it is our responsibility, brothers and sisters, to ensure that we are receiving this word daily. Seeking for his anointing upon it every day. It is our responsibility to get off our seat and follow the pillar of cloud when it moves the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud in the wilderness, wherever it may take us. In John chapter 12, verse 26, Jesus said these words, If anyone serves me, he must also follow me. He must also follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. There's many places in this generation Jesus is not. There's many churches where Jesus is not present many places in society where Jesus is not present. But where Jesus is, we need to be around where Jesus is. Christ, our pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night, is going on ahead of us to show us the way in the journey. And he expects us to remain with him and to follow him wherever he goes. So let us be diligent to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd as he calls out to his sheep, as he goes out ahead of us and takes us and leads us into safe pastures and unto the promised land. In John chapter 10, verses 2 and 4, Jesus said these words, He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Do you know the voice of the master? Do you hear the voice of the master calling your name? Calling out to you which is the way to walk in it. This is the path of righteousness. This is where I want you to travel. This is where I want you to go in life. This is what I want you to leave behind. I want you to leave Egypt. I want to continue and I want you to walk with me unto the promised land. Do you hear the voice of the good shepherd calling your name? Calling a, this is the way, walk ye in it. And then verse 27 and verse 28 of the same chapter, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. If we attune our ears to hearing the voice of the good shepherd calling our name, leading us into good pastures, if we hear his voice, know them, follow his voice, he will give us eternal life. Amen.
Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we do thank you for the warnings, the exhortations, and the encouragement found in your word. Father, we want to be about what you are about. We want to be wherever you are. We want to hear your words and follow you. We want to be guided by that pillar of cloud in the wilderness, the pillar of fire at night. We, want to, we don't want to be neglectful, Father God, and resting on our laurels in our faith. We want to be about our Father's business. We want to be about your, your, the, the works of God in our lives. Father God, help us to, to walk in the paths which you have prepared before us to walk in. Help us to be mindful of what you are saying in these last days. Help us to have ears that hear what the Spirit says to the church. Father God, help us to walk in your ways. Help us to be attentive and serious about the Word of God in these last days. Father God, may we experience that washing of the water by the Word of God. May we experience the fire burning in our hearts as need be. And help us to see where you are going and help us to follow you wherever you take us. We love you, Lord. We want to commit ourselves to you. Forgive us, Father, for sometimes in the past where we have neglected your word, neglected your ways. Lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, Father God. This is our prayer. Lead us in your paths. In Jesus' mighty name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.